The Church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. There will be um, co-workers to plan with. He'll do the same thing on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and get back up next one that Monday and do it again day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year until one morning. He'll get up, step into the bathroom in that morning, look in the mirror and see a 67-year-old in the reflection. Get dressed and make that drive one last time to that office, check the emails, read the memos, make the reports. And that night, instead of just driving back home, he'll drive to a restaurant because his wife and his children are planning a retirement dinner. And he'll walk into that reserved room, but it's not just his wife and his children, it's friends from long ago, it's co-workers, his boss, and everybody says, surprise, they have drinks and they eat a meal together, they present him with a retirement gift, they ask for a speech, speech, and he talks about what he's looking forward to, maybe fly fishing or reading or travel with his spouse. I can assure you this, the joy of his career will not be because it culminated in one public celebratory acknowledgement at the end of 40 plus years. It will be in the sense of purpose that he brought to work, the return feeling of contribution after the work was well done, trusted relationships with his co-workers, an amenable relationship with his supervisor, and feeling like his work brings value to a world in which we all live. In other words, it's going to be in the everyday interactions that create that sense of fulfillment that all of us want in the careers that we choose. She moves her way outside of the restaurant to stand on the balcony. She's wearing an evening gown. Her hair is well appointed. It has one of those hibiscus flowers in it. She's standing on the balcony. Her husband joins her, brings her the glass. They look out over the Pacific Ocean as the sun is setting and listen to those waves lapping for the hundred billionth time upon that shore. They think that it's perfect time to ask one of the restaurant staff to take their phone and please take a picture of us here with the sunset in the background because it's a 40th anniversary cruise from California over to Hawaii to celebrate four decades of a life built together and I can promise you this, whether or not she will tell her grandchildren the secrets to a fulfilling marriage or not will have nothing to do with one grandiose and well-deserved vacation celebrating the culmination of another decade. It will have everything to do with whether or not her spouse was the one who would pour that other cup of coffee and bring it to them on a difficult morning to support them when they've had to go and bury their parents, to open a door to say please and thank you, to genuinely express I'm sorry. In other words, it's not in the big moments and great celebrations that make a fulfilling marriage. It's in one million tiny acts of consideration. Our series for September that the devil, nope, the Holy Spirit is in the details, is this. Christianity, especially Protestant Christianity for centuries, has put a lot of emphasis upon significant individual moments in a person's spiritual life, like the moment that you confess your faith in Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, the moment you're baptized, the moment that you move into a position of leadership in serving the church, or you begin to serve communion to others, or whatever it may be. 
But the fact is that the Holy Spirit's most profound work will not happen in big singular moments, but in the tiny details and habits of everyday life. We begin today by hearing as Rocky read from Psalm 139. I love the Psalms, and as I've noted to some of you before, the Psalms is not the place you go in the Bible if you're looking for an explanation for the nature of God. It's a place where you go when you need a poet's description of the nature of God. You can look in a science textbook for a definition of love, and they will talk about how the different synapses of the brain begin to fire, and the different chemicals begin to flow, and it creates a sense of attraction, but that's much less interesting makes a far worse movie than one of Shakespeare's grand sonnets describing the power of love to grip someone's life and change its course in a moment. That's the Psalms. The Psalms fall in a category of the library of the Bible called wisdom literature. They're surrounded by other books, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. There are great love songs here. There are moments when the people will turn to God and say, God, Explain to me why we who are trying to do the right thing are suffering while people who don't care anything about doing the right thing seem to prosper. God, why is that? There are all the range of human emotion from joy down to sorrow are captured in the wisdom literature. And here the author says in Psalm 139, he offers us an opportunity to overhear his conversation or her conversation with the Creator. He says... Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. Even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and my resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. You surround me front and back. You put your hand on me. This kind of knowledge is too much for me. It is so high above me that I can't reach it. Examine me, God. Look at my heart. Put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts and look to see if there is any idolatrous way in me. Then lead me on the eternal path. This isn't just somebody talking about God. It's someone talking to God. It's a personal kind of dialogue. I want to lift out to you three specific ways that the very opening statements of Psalm 139 are true in my life and in yours. Number one, God knows our thoughts. God knows our thoughts. He says, you comprehend my plans. And here's the thing. It's not just that God knows what we're thinking. God knows what we're thinking before we are even consciously aware of what we are thinking ourselves. Here's what I mean. A number of months ago, on a Sunday afternoon, my wife had a work commitment, a rare work commitment on a Sunday, and so I had Sunday morning here, and my mother-in-law graciously helped out with the kids around church schedules, and then in the afternoon they came back to me, and that afternoon my wife had asked me to go do the grocery shopping, so we went to Target down at the Grove, and we're doing our grocery shopping, me along with the kids because she hates me, and... <laughs> you guys will just be on your best behavior, if you'll please get along and don't make my life difficult, I've got this list of things. If you'll do that, on our way out, we'll get a bag of popcorn and a Coke right there at Target. Oh, yeah, Dad. We'll do that. We'll, we'll be so good. That lasted maybe 10 seconds. And then some unforeseen spiritual force just took upon them. And they're fighting there in the cart. I have the girls sitting in the cart and you know, anytime they inhabit the same space, there's friction. 
And so they're fighting at each other, and I'm and like, hey, hey, keep your hands to yourself. Say that again and see what happens. And I'm starting to lecture and kind of trying to separate them a little bit. And I hear, Pastor Nathan? <laughs> and I look up, and it was somebody from a church in another place. And I was glad to see them, and you know, we were catching up just for a second, and then, you know, the... World War III began, you know, kind of resumes back there, and I'm just kind of reaching down and I'm talking to them, but they didn't seem to interpret in that moment that I was trying to, you know, referee a fight between my kids and started to go back into a story of something happened, and I'm trying to be attentive and wanting to be attentive, but I have to be responsible. I'm getting pulled back and forth, and I finally just reached down and took one of their arms and just kind of squeezed it very firmly and looked down and said, stuff it. <laughs> so I wrapped up my conversation with the person and bid them farewell. And then it was lecture time. And so I kind of pulled the cart over. My 10-year-old is standing there beside the cart, and the girls are in, and I said, look at me. Do you have any idea how frustrating it is when I'm trying to have a conversation with another adult, and you guys are acting like this kind of foolish, just like this is an appropriate way to act? Do you understand? And went on for two or three minutes, threatened, you know, threatened the popcorn and the Coke to take it away. I was like, do you understand what I'm saying to you? And right as they're nodding in silence, my son, who's just beginning to become a preteen, says, quiet now, girls. We don't want to embarrass Pastor Nathan. <laughs> I wanted to wring his neck. <laughs> but he wasn't wrong. You see, he could perceive something in that moment that I didn't even see in the moment, which was I responded harshly and sternly to my child, who needed to be corrected. They needed to be corrected. Of course they did. But I was a little harsher than I should have been. And it really didn't have as much to do with their actual behavior as it was in that moment being image conscious that somebody might see me as something less than I am projecting on myself that I'm supposed to be. I, I try hard to create congruence and integrity between my life in a sermon and my life as a father and as a husband. I, I diligently do that. My kids know that. But in that moment, he picked up on something that I wasn't aware of because he was comprehending my plans, what was happening before I could even know. And if my 10-year-old snarky son <laughs> can see that, my God, how much deeper must be the understanding of our Creator looking down upon my life. Number two, God sees our actions. God doesn't just have knowledge about what we're thinking because of God's omniscience. God is carefully and sovereignly engaged with creation. Now listen, this is a radical thing. This is not the God of, that's printed on our money of in God we trust. That's a deistic God. That's a God that creates the world kind of like a clock and then steps back and lets the clock tick on its own. That's not the Christian God. The Christian God is intimately engaged and observing and present in all the mechanics of creation. God sees what's happening. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. And even though I know that here, sometimes I act like that's not true. Reminds me, when I was, I'm the second of five children, and my youngest sister, uh, the youngest child in our family, is 12 years younger than me. And when she was about three and a half, four years old, my parents went through this stage where she was very difficult to get to sleep and to stay in her own bed once they got her to sleep. Some of you that may have happened to before, I don't know. They would put her to bed. 
sing the songs, go through the routines. You know, have you set the schedule, have the habits, and hopefully you know, that kind of gets her fit. And she would get up and come stand at my parents' door with like a little blankie and a stuffed animal. Can I sleep with y'all? No, you may not. You may turn right back around. My dad would get out of bed and go and take her and put her in bed. One night in particular, he told us this happened. He shared it with us the next morning kind of as a chuckle. That happened. They put her to bed. She got up, stood at the door. I want to sleep in your bed. No, you may not. Let's go back. And they went back through the routine again, sang the songs. I think we got her to sleep, you know, back away as though you're a bomb technician, that kind of thing. And just a minute later, she showed up in the doorway. But this time, she wasn't asking anything. This time, she showed up, blankie on her arm, stuffed animal here. And she's standing there in the doorway doing this. And then she would very carefully just kind of open up her fingers so she could be... And she began to slide into the room, (laughs) past the foot of the bed, around to my mother's side, where she was assured my mother would be more sympathetic. They realized that she was thinking, if I can't see them, they can't see me. So silly, the innocence of a child. And yet I act sometimes as though the holy and righteous judge of creation is not constantly aware of everything I do. The psalmist says, you know when I sit down and when I stand up third measure of God's omniscient care for creation. God hears our words. There isn't a word on my tongue, Lord, that you don't already know completely. Before it even comes out, the thought that happens in the processes of our kind of neurocognitive, just, it's about to come out. God already knows what's coming. A week and a half ago, I was returning from Baldwin, Louisiana on a domestic mission trip with our church and we were driving around through New Orleans and uh, I was in my car by myself and heading back home and I found myself on a four-lane road and it was just kind of bumper-to-bumper traffic making our way toward a red light and a car in front of me, car behind me, car beside me, nowhere to go, just making our way. And when the light turned green and the traffic began to sputter along and create spaces, as the car in front of me began to move, they maybe eight or ten feet out of seemed like nowhere, coming the opposite direction, here comes a sedan and just turned. And I had to slam on brakes. And I think just even though they were the one turning in front of me and cutting me off, they slammed on brakes. And we were like, you know, 20 feet apart for just a second and our eyes locked. And this person, though they were clearly in the wrong according to the rules of the road, just had an incredibly visceral animated outburst and is waving their finger and, and shouting. I can't hear anything, but I can see they're shouting and their faces all torn. I'm sure it was a word of blessing, whatever it was. And <laughs> I was tempted in that moment to give them a blessing back. <laughs> I absolutely was. I wanted to say, like, what are you yelling at me for? You're the idiot that doesn't know how to drive. Get your car out of here. But I stopped short. Stop short. And before I even let that fly, God knew the impulse that was going to drive that expression, which would have been a word of hate and anger toward another child of God, regardless of whether or not they were guilty. God knows our thoughts. God sees our actions. God hears our words. It's a radical thing for Christians to believe that the God of creation is able and interested in remaining so engaged in my life that not only is God observing, observing this, but God wants to help me. I, I think that's why Jesus, 
in John 14, in the last conversation, the last long conversation I'll have with his disciples, it's the Last Supper in John's Gospel. And there are several chapters of an intimate conversation where Jesus is talking directly to them, and he's like, hey, I'm leaving. And the disciples are like, excuse me, what? You can't leave? Like, our whole lives are built around following you and trying to do your teachings in this. You can't leave? And Jesus says in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father, and he will send another counselor who will be with you forever. I wonder how different my life would be if I lived most of each day in a consistent awareness that there is an objective third party next to me with a flashlight ready to shine the light on the shadowy dark places in my soul to help me better understand what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, and what I'm prone to say. It must be a good thing for this to happen. It must be. Because he ends the section that we read with an invitation for God to do what he just recounted God had done. He begins the, the psalm by saying, you have done this, you have done this, you know this, you see this, you observe this, you feel this, you know me thoroughly. And then says in verses 23 and 24, examine me, God. Look at my heart and put me to the test. Know my anxious thoughts. Look to see if there is any idolatrous way in me. Then lead me on the eternal path. Why would somebody invite God to see all the messed up stuff in their life? Maybe. Because they have that personal dialogue. They know that this is not a mean-spirited and stern judge just waiting for us to step out of line and keeping a long list of everything we've done wrong. But instead is a God who is gracious and kind, who shows up on the front doorstep of your soul and mine, not like the FBI with a warrant, just looking to find the damning evidence, but rather as a kind carpenter with a tool bag when we open the door says I heard something's broken I want to see if we can fix it together what would it be like if we prayed that prayer and believed that God was good and forgiving what if we said examine me oh God look at my heart what if we said God search the excuses I gave to my family for missing that commitment they were counting on me to make God search my tax returns for any hidden and creative characterizations. God, search whether or not I have truly forgiven my family member for what they did to me. God, search my internet browser history. God, search the amount of sincerity in saying that I was sorry for what I did when I kind of really wasn't. Search me, God. Look at my heart. See, Jesus said that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I believe today that whether or not we are willing to say, God, search me, all of me, it depends on who we think it is who will do the searching. A God of judgment and punishment. A God of fear. You see, if that's the case, then we say, I screwed up. My dad is going to kill me. 
But if we really believe and trust that God is loving, there's another totally different response, which is, I screwed up. Man, I better go talk to my dad. I want that in my life. I want it for you. Amen. Let's pray. God, you have given us freedom, and sometimes we use that freedom honorably to do good to ourselves, good to others, and to honor you. But you, oh God, are certainly aware that sometimes we don't use it for that. And we do things that we don't even understand why we do them sometimes. And so we ask today, we invite you to get involved in the details to make your home in the minutia of human motivation and behavior and to change us, God, not from the outside in, but from the deepest parts of inside us and out. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The church at Ross Bridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ. 